This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Week 11 recap. I'm going to start here because there's a lot of questions and a lot of problems that have the same solution, root cause, whatever you want to call it. Um, I got a great listener question from a guy named Matt. He said, asking for a friend, how do you get rid of owners? What's funny about that is it could have been any no- it could have been any number of fan bases asking that question today, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Um, but surprise, surprise, it's a Carolina Panthers fan. That's who Matt is, and they would love to get rid of their owner. Um, owners are. I always think about this. When Jerry Buss died, Lee Jenkins wrote a piece in Sports Illustrated, and he said early, early on in the piece, he said. The more you go in sports, the more you realize that it's pretty much just all ownership. It's just all about the owner. And that's probably, like, I think people get annoyed when a national broadcast goes up to the the booth and somebody, or the owner's box, somebody says, well, there's Mr. Jones, or, oh, there's Mr. Clark Hunt, and he does a great job. Oh, there's Mr. Ross, he's awesome. Like, I understand why you don't want to see that. And I maybe it's overkill, I don't know. But... They are so unbelievably important to everything that an organization does. And the reason being is because it's so easy to be an abysmal owner. Abysmal. Owners are the CEO. So think about the CEO of your company's importance, except they're not well-versed in the, in the, in the, in anything that has to do with football. I was going to say in the field, but like not even like athletics. It's not like they're like hockey players who are like, I oh, will figure this out. It's that they they were good at something else. They purchased the team, and in in most cases, they're making huge decisions because of it. If someone's running J.P. Morgan Chase, you can bet they handled money on the way up. That's my guess. Ownership is the CEO without expertise. That's why it's so vitally important. The reason I'm pairing or putting all of these teams under one umbrella is because there's so many teams right now where everything stems from that. Jets. Chargers, Panthers. I'm going to throw the Bears in there. And then I'm going to put the Commanders in a maybe pile because they've been undone for the last two decades by bad ownership, as bad as anybody's ever been. And now they have the chance to undo that in short order. Magic Johnson's tweeting out incredibly obvious things about their games. And that means that they've got a real chance to, to go forward here with the Josh Harris Magic Johnson, like I was there in in for training camp, but the vibes are just different. And, and I hope that they don't. If they make one misstep, they can lose the trust of the of the franchise. Like they can. This year is about not being Dan Snyder, and then next year is about fixing it. And I just I think there's probably some PTSD floating around FedEx Field. By the way, giant showers FedEx Field today didn't even work. No water, no water. So they haven't fixed the fact that they have the worst stadium in football. Okay, so let's get to the ownership thing. Because if you make the same bad decision over and over and over again, it's not the definition of insanity, it's the definition of a bad owner. If you go probably three decisions in a row and you haven't fixed the problem, it's because you have a broken culture and culture, or worse, curses. Ooh, this team's cursed. It's a shorthand for you have bad ownership and bad people making decisions. Now that could be they just don't know what a football person should be, or it could mean they don't want to spend the money, or it could mean they're lazy and they want to say, let's just bring this guy back. I don't want to go through a search. It could be any number of reasons or worse. 
like, I mean, that was the thing with the Ford family with Matt Millen is like they, Matt Millen just, from what I understand, like to just hang out with Mr. Ford and talk about the civil war. And they're like, well, I can't fire my friend. Can't fire my buddy. Who am I going to talk about Antietam with? Um, and so you have all sorts of reasons that you are a bad owner, but most bad owners end up in the same place, which is if they're good, they're good by accident. And when they're bad, they stay bad. There's a couple of exceptions to that that I'm going to get to in a second. I'm going to start with the Jets because I think, so Robert Sala comes out and says he doesn't know if Zach Wilson's starting next week. That's progress. 20 dropbacks by Zach Wilson today, zero receptions by a Jets wideout. Tommy DeVito across town has now, or not across town, across the stadium, uh, has now done in three starts what Zach Wilson has not done in 30, which is three touchdown passes in a game. It is obvious to me that this is coming from ownership level that Zach Wilson has to start and that they have to. And listen, maybe the plan was Zach Wilson gets mentored by Aaron Rodgers for two years and the pick doesn't look like the worst pick in history. Maybe that was the plan. I understand the thought process of that, but you have to have a better plan for a literal backup. And when you were shown a half a season of evidence at the trade deadline, you have to know to actually do something like Josh Dobbs, like anything, signing anybody off the street, um, you have to know to stop being that stubborn. The reason I think it's ownership is because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, is that Robert Sala was being so weird about it. Um, there were no real leaks about it. If it was Joe Douglas, I also don't know. Maybe Joe Douglas was trying to justify his pick, but I also think Joe Douglas would rather win a bunch of games than have his pick look good. Joe Douglas saved his quarterback problem by trading for a multiple-time MVP. He's good. He's absolved. So that's why I think there's probably a layer above that that's pushing for him. The Panthers are in an ownership conundrum that I don't know what you do because it gets in a doom loop kind of like what the, the Browns were in in the, what the entire 2010s decade, which is nobody wants that job and then they want to move off their mistake and they can't or they do quickly. And then surprise, still no one wants that job the next go around. So then you're overpaying for guys. You're making promises. You're giving them seven year deals, eight year deals. You're giving them tons of money just to show up. They get bought out. And they, they realize the dysfunction very quickly and they go, oh, I know why everybody else got fired. Oh, I know why everybody else quit. Oh, I know why people didn't want to be here. Um, and I would say safely David Tepper is in that zone. I warned for years that he was getting to that zone and he's there. Because if you're a GM right now, why are you taking David Tepper's call if you're a coach? If they fire Frank Reich, why are you taking that call? He is, Frank Reich has already said that David Tepper basically meets with him all the time, which again, David Tepper is not a football expert. And I think that the best course of action is to clean house and try to build around Bryce Young. But I also think that those sort of resets tend to ruin young quarterbacks. That's the paradox. That is the paradox. We'll call it the Alex Smith paradox that you need to do everything you can to make sure you get the right people around them. But those sort of resets set a guy back and you're kind of screwed after a certain point. So there's hope. I mean, like, look at 
what Mike McDaniel did to Tua. All he needed was someone to scheme him up and to believe in him. And it took one year for that to work. So there's hope, but you can't make the same mistake twice. The Bears, I'm only throwing them in here because A, they lost the game, and then B, they're always in this mix as far as bad ownership, as far as making the same mistakes over and over again. Martellus Bennett had a great piece, uh, piece, uh, a thread on Twitter, basically saying Bears ownership, they said, has no futurism, lacks futurism. Their entire business model is built on selling the past, past uh, and that would be the 85 Bears, obviously. Um, they're always trying to recreate the old product instead of buying into and producing a new product. That is true. Having said that, the Bears made a lot of money off of the 85 Bears and selling that and selling that as the hope. You can do one of two things as a football owner. You can sell hope and say, we're almost there, or you can sell nostalgia and the Bears have made their bed and decided that they'd rather trot out the 85 Bears any chance they get. By the way, I would put the Dolphins and the 72 team in that bucket as well. So this brings us to the final boss of bad ownership, which is the Chargers. And I want to make a couple overarching points here, which is that we're going to blame Brandon Staley, and we should. Brandon Staley's a bad coach. The Chargers have lost five games this season by three or fewer points. No other team has lost more than two such games. That seems impossible. He was testy. After the press conference, uh, he seems to be trying to put on a sort of a defiant posture and it's just coming off as inauthentic. Or maybe he's just desperate and that really is him. But it's not going to work and they're going to try again. I'd probably fire him sooner rather than later to see what Kellen Moore has just in case. And by the way, I'd, the commanders, I'd fire Ron Rivera and see what Eric Bieniemy has the last six weeks of the season. Just to see. Let's just see how it goes. Because, um, by the way, I can tell you what's going to happen with Ron Rivera. I can tell you. Can't tell you what's going to happen with Eric Bieniemy. Give him a shot. Get more of a sample size because he will be a candidate for the permanent job after the season. Let's just see what we got. Okay? Um, but the Chargers have so many issues right now. And they need a hard reset, which is... Hilariously enough, Brandon Staley's words from a couple of weeks ago. And I think at some point he's going to go, oh, no, I didn't mean a hard reset like that when he's left on a tarmac somewhere. Um, that will not be in Green Bay, even though they lost. Um, he did not get fired after the game. Who knows what happened tomorrow? Um, but so often we confuse bad coaching or a bad culture or a bad GM or bad roster or whatever with bad ownership. Most of the time... The secret, the underlying root cause is bad ownership. The reason that Justin Herbert and Phillip Rivers are going to have the exact same career is because the Chargers are not going to go the extra mile, even though they have a very good roster on paper and have had a very good roster on paper. By the way, so did Phillip Rivers. You win in football because you take that roster and then you add all these little edges on top of it, all of these little edges. And the question is, how does a bad owner become a good owner? Usually the answer is luck. And you get one player. Somebody was telling me recently, you know, I don't, I, you know, and this is in the last year or so, you know, Clark Hunt was not considered 
an elite, elite, elite owner. He was not on the Robert Kraft uh, Canton track a decade ago, right? They hadn't won all that much. I mean, for God's sakes, a decade ago, they had just fired Scott Pioli in January 2013, and they just hired Andy Reid. We were not talking about the same Clark Hunt, but here's what happens. They get Andy Reid, they build on it, they get Alex Smith, they build on it, they eventually get Patrick Mahomes, and then Clark Hunt grows with the franchise and becomes a good owner. He starts getting more aggressive with trading first-round picks. He says, what do you guys need? And going from there and building it and providing the platform. But the problem is, is that the Chargers have been given breaks that a lot of franchises would kill for, and they have not built the runway needed. I know that because I've seen every single Chargers season since I, since they started getting good quarterbacks 20 years ago. Um, Philip Rivers, I... Had as much or more talent than Eli Manning. Eli Manning played for a better franchise, won two Super Bowls. Eli Manning consistently was given the things that you needed. That's that's top level stuff. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we're looking at this Brandon Staley situation, and it's not isolated. He's a bad coach, but he's a cog in a bad machine. I don't want to be, I don't want to do a true detective here, but like everything that's happened with the chargers will happen going forward. And like I, a friend of mine just texted me and said that the, the chargers beats look like the end New York tabloids, you know, from the eighties going at Brandon Staley after the game, because it's been so obvious how bad things have gotten, but you could ask the same things for ownership over the last 20 years. And the point I want to make about ownership is that you should sort of be a mentor. Like that should be your role. I know that that's a weird word for it, but he, I'll tell you a story. Jonathan Kraft and Robert Kraft had met them years ago and it was for a piece. And I said, Hey, what do you guys do exactly? And they said, well, when we're in meetings, we just want to make sure, this is Jonathan talking, we want to make sure every question is asked. And that's about it. They're not going to say to Bill Belichick, hey, what if we did this? Hey, what? Hey, Bill, what if we took this nose tackle and did this? Guess what? These bad owners I'm talking about, they feel extremely comfortable doing that sort of stuff. Not scheme stuff with nose tackles, but just saying, hey, I've got an idea. Hey, wait a second. I've got an idea. No, no, no. Like the best owners are sounding boards. How's that? Sounding boards. Like the Steelers are a great example. Like, yeah, I, it's a little weird right now that Mike Tomlin considers Matt Canada to be the answer. It's a little weird. But my guess is the Rooney family is going to wait until the absolute last second to say anything. Because they're good owners. Do you think Steve Bashotti? Like I see Steve Bashotti at these owners' meetings. He's the Ravens owner. He's just hanging out, drinking a, smoking a cigar, having a great time out on the patio. And this, I mean, he's obviously involved, but like he's got a team president who, at this point, I believe is Sashi Brown. But like he's just there to make sure all the decisions are being thought through. Everything's fine. No weird abuses of power somewhere within the organization. Like that's that's a big thing. 
that these owners, have to, especially if they're absentee, have to keep an eye on. But they're not doing anything. They're not. They're not interfering, and they're hiring the right people and they're letting them do their jobs. That's the key. Hire your football people and let them do it. David Tepper needs to stop following football. Hire someone when you're replacing. Well, hire your GM. Let him hire the coach and then move to Bermuda full-time for 24 months. And then check on your phone and see how it's going. I've been so upset about Miami football recently that in the first quarter of the Louisville game, I did not watch it. I just checked on the phone because I did, I, and I was just like, oh, pleasantly surprised they're still in it. That's how David Tepper should operate right now. It's just remove yourself, go to a park with your kids like I do, and then follow it like that. That's it. And so... Bad ownership is probably the first thing we should look at when we're talking about all these things. And it doesn't get talked about nearly enough because it's sort of abstract. Like Michael Silver years ago did like a ownership ranking one through 32 and that's pretty good, but nobody really does it anymore because it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And it changes. It changes. The Mara family, I think, have been as good an ownership group as you possibly can have. But if you make three great, excuse me, if you make two great coaching hires in a row, followed by three bad ones, what are you? In some, in most cases, I think you're just, if you have a track record of being a good owner, you're probably somewhere in the middle. You probably need to adjust your hiring process, maybe, in some cases. I think Brian Dable, by the way, speaking of the Mariners, I think Brian Dable is the best coach they've hired since Tom Coughlin. That's kind of a separate deal. I'm just saying there's this type of ownerships. I'll give you a great example. Jed York in San Francisco hires Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, sets them up for offensive production every single year, and then a defense that is badass this year and they might win the Super Bowl. It's the same owner as the guy who hired Chip Kelly and Mike Singletary and Jim Tom Sula. It's that guy. But he grew and he learned. And I guess my big point here is the groups I'm talking about, the ownership groups I'm talking about have not learned. They have not learned. Jets, Chargers, Panthers, Bears. Three of the four of them will be on the market for a new coach this year is my guess. Uh, Jets will bring everybody back. I think they're probably better than these other organizations. But um, they've still got what seems to be a fatal flaw, which is that Zach Wilson started a bunch of games he shouldn't. Um, the Chargers, to me, are the most pressing. What are they going to do to stop being the Chargers? The Chargers not only have had the same season, they've played the same game. They've played the same game over and over and over again. And if you're running the Chargers, aren't you like, we should do something about this? We should do something about the fact that our quarterback gets the ball swatted down on fourth and one every single game since every, everybody who's watching was in middle school? That seems like a problem. Bad ownership should be the first thing we talk about, not the last thing. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull, and then 
Place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code BET. Amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Flynn, we got some questions. That one question, how do you get rid of owners? Set me off onto a, a long 20-minute tangent. By the way, how do you get rid of owners? Uh, it's tough. It took think about how many times Snyder should have sold and didn't. So it's a mixture of unforced errors, congressional investigations, and uh the ability to get six billion dollars for the team. All right, Flynn, what do we got? Let's go to Tony, who wants to know how many teams will be eight and eight entering week 18. This is a great question from Tony. I'm gonna go the other way on this. I think there's going to be some absolutely awful teams. Awful. Two, three-win teams, one-win teams. I don't see where this a Panthers win is coming from. There's a bunch of teams that can be 8-8. Eight and eight. A bunch that I would be shocked if they weren't 8-8. Eight eight going in, This is going into Week 18. Obviously, the, no one can be 8-8 eight eight anymore, even though Jeff Fisher would try if he could. The Jets, classic 8-8 eight eight team. Classic 8-8 eight eight team. The Raiders, Antonio Pierce is going to get them to eight wins, and then they'll get the this the week eighteen result. Bengals feel like they have three wins in them in the next, and that over that period, um, which with, I mean, it's still a good roster, so I don't think they're going to lose out. Colts, Texans win more than that, by the way. Commanders, honestly, I think they get there either way. They're four and seven right now, but I feel like they go on a little run. Because either Rivera tries to save his job or Biennemi tries to get the job, depending on how that goes. I mean, the answer is a lot. I'm sure I'm going to name more like the Rams. You think Sean McVay, like Sean McVay won today. He's, he's, he is, he's on the drive to going nine and eight. Come on. It's time. Um, Packers feel like a nine and eight team or eight, and nine, probably four and six. And then the AFC South and NFC South, excuse me, Falcons, Bucks, one of those teams. So I probably named too many teams, but there are a lot of teams. I don't remember, and I know the whole joke is the NFL is supposed to be eight, everybody's supposed to be eight and eight all season. 
uh, every season. There are just a lot of mediocre teams that just scream nine and eight, eight and nine, even more than normal because of the way the quarterbacks have either it's good roster, bad quarterbacks, good quarterback, bad roster, good quarterback, bad coach. Like this is, um, there's a, the lack of complete teams, but then the presence of top end talent in those departments has made for extreme mediocrity across the league. Up next, we're going to hear from Jack. Last year, Ben Johnson declined the opportunity to interview for the Panthers head coaching job. This offseason, what's to stop every other candidate from doing the same? So the reason I chose this, even though it slightly overlaps with my with my uh, monologue, is that I think there's two there's two points here. It's a Ben Johnson point, and then it's just a general NFL point. I think that As I alluded to earlier, the reason that someone would take a job with the Panthers is the same reason people took jobs with the Browns. First of all, they want to be head coaches. Second of all, there's lots of money in it. The difference is there's a talented young quarterback who hasn't shown a ton at the NFL level in Bryce Young. But I think that it's a more desirable job than that that string of jobs. Now that you don't have a first round pick next year, which you, you would have loved to have had. Um, but then also it's a butterfly effect. You wouldn't have Bryce young, all this stuff. Um, but there are jobs that are likely going to be open. I want to, I want to kind of rank them here. And the, it's not necessarily like you have to see the vision. I remember one time we were looking at, uh, we were looking at houses or uh, apartments in LA and it was when we first moved there in 2016. And this guy, this like broker was taking us around. And every time we'd see a place, we'd be like, this place sucks. And he would go, no, you got to see the vision. You got to see the vision. We'd be in like Silver Lake and it would like nothing would be painted on the walls. And he's like, no, 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 wait, the vision. And I'm thinking about that for some of these teams where it's like, what can the commanders be? New stadium, eventually. Um, upgraded practice facility, I'm sure at Commander's Park. I'm sure, I mean, it's just it's it's like an office park now. It's really bad. Um, an owner who wants to invest, who loves the team. So, what is it? And most importantly, when can it get there? Can it get there with you if you take this job now? Over the next four years, is there going to be a bridge there? Um, that's that's the, my, my question. I think Mike McCarthy barring some huge collapse, he's safe. Um, Jonathan Gannon, those guys are playing hard for him. I know what we said. I don't think this is Pete Carroll's last year, um, even though he's one of the oldest coaches in football. Um, The Bears, if that job comes open, I know they're the Bears, and I know that we talked about ownership a little bit earlier, but man, as I said a couple weeks ago, that is a job. you can. It's almost hard to screw up when you think about having probably two top five picks, at least two top 10 picks, including the first overall pick. You have a decision to make with Caleb Williams and Drake May, but most most coaches would love to make that decision rather than are we going to sign Baker Mayfield for $12 million. Um, so you kind of have to go through it. Patriots, I'd put at the low end. Like this wasn't a monologue a couple weeks ago. Belichick has made himself an undesirable candidate and he's also made the Patriots a bad job which two things I thought were completely unthinkable. Um, and then the Chargers, which again, we talk about mediocrity. That's a great job undone by a poor structure. 
You want Justin Herbert. You don't want to coach the Chargers. And so there's no there's no perfect job open unless somebody unexpectedly retires. Um, I mean, I, I the Bills won at six and five today. In theory, that would be a perfect job, but there's a lot of expectations, and that roster isn't quite there. Um, and they're six and five, and I think that if if and they looked like they were playing well today. So if Sean McDermott gets a double digit wins, I think it's going to be hard for them to move on to him from him. Um, so I know I'm kind of taking it far away from the question, but I can see a case to be made for a bunch of these jobs, including the Panthers job. The Panthers job is not going to be the worst one, all things considered because, because of Bryce Young and just the fact that there's, there's something to work with. And if you do anything with him at this point, you're considered a miracle worker. I know that sounds wild, but like he, I think Micah Parsons had a 40% pressure rate today. He was getting teed off on. There's something there. As I said about the Mike McDaniel thing, there's something there where you can come in and start making good decisions right away and turn things around. So I think Ben Johnson's going to turn down the Panthers interview opportunity if it, if it came open, but I think someone is going to take that job. All right. What's next fun. Finally, we have Blake. Does Matt Canada think he's better than Ken Dorsey because he has a job? Under two minutes, three straight passes, 14-second drive. How is this continuing 11 weeks in? So the Ken Dorsey thing is interesting because things were working vaguely well in Buffalo. And Shil Kapati had the stat that the Bills now have a one plus 104 point differential, fourth in the NFL, second in the AFC. No team has beaten them by more than six points. Offense is fourth in EPA per drive and second in success rate, and they are six and five. That is the sign, Shield says, of a weird, weird team. He is correct on that. Because things have worked, and by the way, Joe Brady, the new OC, used more motion, did all the things everybody said they should do, and it, it seemed to work today. Having said that, I don't know if that's not – that could just be a Jets team that's just ready to quit because of the bad quarterback situation, but we'll, that remains to be seen. So withholding judgment, leaving open that possibility. It, I think – and Josh Allen after the game said this is not – this was not an offense that was broken. And it just – first of all, you have to be extremely naive to think that they would have fired Ken Dorsey without talking to Josh Allen about it. And you would also have to be naive to think that they didn't tell Ken Dorsey to do these things. Um, so my, my kind of armchair theory here is that there was some either personality conflict, communication conflict, something that just wasn't working there. That, 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 that's just, that just feels like it because otherwise you can easily make the case for, for Dorsey to have stayed. Now, that, that's also part of the reason that I didn't know if this was going to initially help. Um, and that's why I did my, my thing a couple weeks ago uh, or last week. It's possible that this was a McDermott panic move, in which case I wouldn't, if I'm ownership, wouldn't have let him do it, frankly. Um, and also the, the fact that he's turned over both coordinators. And so he knows he's next if it doesn't work, but this looked like things were getting on track. And again, as Josh Allen said, it was not an offense. It was broken. Just a couple little things. The little things got done today. Um, but the Matt Canada thing, I trust Mike Tomlin so much 
And you have to sort of take the quirks with the success. He's going to have his team be tough. He's going to win games that he shouldn't. He's going to lose games or be in games that should be blowouts and make them close. Um, we know who he is. The fact that he will not move off his Canada thing is maddening. But again, you take the quirks with the success. And this has to be the end. They're no longer even using the middle of the field. Kenny Pickett's not throwing beyond the sticks with any regularity, with any success. Uh, my old colleague Ben Solak put a video out the other uh, hour basically saying Here, here's here's every throw Kenny Pickett had beyond the sticks or beyond – I think it was beyond the sticks. And it was abysmal. It was absolutely awful. And so you have two things that are going on here. Either Matt Canada cannot call plays, which is extremely likely, or Matt Canada cannot develop Kenny Pickett, in which case he needs to be fired anyway. So – I don't know what the like it maybe the only way this is justified, which I don't think is the case, is if Matt Canada has taken Kenny Pickett, who is just so abysmal in practice, no one can believe it and makes him ready for, for game day. Which by the way, I've been to a bunch of Steelers practices. I'm not in love with Kenny Pickett by any means, but he can throw a football forward. And there's no justification for keeping him. And I'm not going to freak out about it and say it's like I, there's a lot of criticism of Mike Tomlin in the Pittsburgh market that I, I find frankly ridiculous. By the way, you talk about good ownership there and building a structure. You've got to start with Steelers. Um, but Tomlin's a part of that. And so Matt Canada is not better than Ken Dorsey. It's that Ken Dorsey did not work for a head coach who was okay playing this style of football and being this weird. Taking criticism as a skill, Mike Tomlin does it well, and that's why Matt Canada still has a job. It's not fair. Ken Dorsey called better plays than Matt Canada, but that's not what this business is about. All right, uh, we'll be back midweek for – so we're only going to do two episodes. We're going to do this episode, and then we're going to do uh, a Wednesday episode that's going to function as the weekend preview as well. That is with our dear friend, Peter King, waking up bright and early on Tuesday for that. I'm excited. You're excited. We'll see you. Thank you to Flynn and Miles. This has been This is Football. See you on Wednesday.